Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series and to Women's Month 2023. Our guest today is Eden Koo. She's an executive partner, advisor, and facilitator with a mission to enrich the human experience in work and life. Her clients span Fortune 100 corporations and Silicon Valley to global associations and major universities. Hi Erin, welcome to Women to Women podcast. Hi, it's so nice to be here. Let's start from the beginning. So how was your childhood? Oh goodness, it is a uh, let me just say it is not a an easy thing to talk about because it was so traumatic, but I really learned to embrace it. And so as early back as when I was 5, my father was diagnosed with the worst severity of lupus, which is a terminal illness. There's no cure for it. So it meant that he was in and out of hospitals for the next 13 years. until he passed away he survived on essentially 40 to 50 medications that really provided him no quality of life just sort of kept him alive and breathing right so for me what it meant was that uh my siblings and I were raised by essentially a sick dad and a mom who was never around cuz she was working all the time trying to provide for us and you know as tragic and traumatic as that was it was the the financial stress on the family and the sort of lack of what i would call unconditional love you know love being very conditioned because my parents weren't people who had the emotional awareness to navigate what they were experiencing you know those kinds of hardships and those kinds of adversities that were forever long they weren't something that was just here and then gone it was their their new life right what i really saw through all that is that for one perseverance is everything because i was able to almost tap into this inner wisdom within myself that as a child i didn't really know what it was but it was really this sort of light or this wisdom that i would one day create a life that i love and i can create a life that i love as soon as i can just get old enough to be able to move beyond that environment i was raised in and that's exactly what i did in this environment growing up were there certain people that really helped you become yourself especially you know in teens a lot of the influences come from home who were those people and nobody I had zero guidance in life, zero. So I basically raised myself since I was nine, to be honest. Um, you know, I I had an older sister that was way older, so she was out of the house already, and she did help us quite a bit when we were real young. But then there came a time where she had her own family, and so we were really sort of on our own to figure things out. And I'm definitely the black sheep in my family. I mean, I'm the one that put myself through college. I'm the one that. moved to New York City. I've always just been driven by doing things that feel really aligned and feel intuitive to me, but also that are different. And I've been okay being uncomfortable since I was as little as I can remember. And I think that that's the key thing is that I didn't seek guidance. I didn't seek help. I just literally looked at the world from a very clear perspective on what is it I can do to position myself to be able to build a life. and i knew from a young age that going to college is something that was maybe seemed far out there but was also not that far out there that i could achieve it that i could do it and i would say the biggest thing that was sort of a guiding force for me is that i really immersed myself in learning and it was sort of an escape you know being at school actually felt like a very safe place for me being around my friends felt like a very safe place for me and just being able to feel like okay at home it's chaos at school there's structure and order like that felt good right so it was kind of natural to me to seek going to college and you know i did what everybody else did i 
applied for schools. I filled out financial aid forms. Like I did all the same things. I was just doing it on my own. But that's, that's incredible. And I'm sure looking back, looking at yourself as that teenager doing all of this, at that point, you may not have realized how big of a deal it is, but I'm sure now you're very proud of your younger self. Absolutely. I know. That's why I say wisdom. It's like, I didn't know what it was then, but I know now there was definitely uh, a bit of that old soul coming through where I was guided by my own intuition. Did you at that point come up with a plan and okay, I want to go to college to do these X, Y, and Z courses and then get a degree in this major and then get into a job like this. Like, what was that plan? Yeah. So, so funny. Also, as long as I can remember, since I was a little girl, two dreams I had. One, every time I saw the Statue of Liberty on TV, I was enamored. I just loved the Statue of Liberty. So I always told myself one day I will live in New York City. So that's number one. The other dream was I love the stars. I love the universe. I love everything to do with like planets and our solar system. And I really wanted to work in mission control at NASA. I did not want to be an astronaut, but I wanted to work in mission control. Why? Because I wanted to know all the secrets of the universe that they know. When I was applying for schools, I got into a few schools that were pretty far away from where I grew up, which was in the St. Louis, Missouri area. But knowing how, how sick my dad was, I was accepted into the aerospace engineering program at St. Louis University. And so I went to school there. It was close to home. I still lived on campus. And so I got to have that experience. But that's what I started school in a major of aerospace engineering freshman year. And within about six months, I realized I'm in the same classes with the same people every single day because so few people choose that major. And so it felt very isolating for me. It just didn't feel like I was making the friends that I thought I would. It didn't feel like I had the community that I thought I would have. And again, my intuition told me, Aaron, this isn't for you and that's okay. It's not a failure. It's just a, a redirection of your course. Go over to the business school and do something there. And so that's what I did. I went over to the business school. I met with a, a guidance counselor and I said, hey, here's my situation. What do people over here do that's really challenging? And they said, management information systems. You have to remember this is like when the dot-com was kind of new, right? So like internet was everything and programming was everything. So that's what I did. I, I did MIS. Wow, that's quite a shift. Huge. Very interesting part is you early on recognized what you did not want to do. And then you went and seeked information on what you thought would be a better fit. And then you kind of pivoted and went along with that. So that's that's great. I wish we all had that wisdom at that age. <laughs> then you went on to work for Goldman Sachs on Wall Street. And then clearly that was another phase. So from there to where you are today, how did that transition happen? What I would say for your listeners, for one, is get rid of the notion that your career has to be linear. Because from the moment you're in college, like I just described, you're not failing if you choose to go another direction you're course correcting. And that is totally fine. And I believe in our careers, we don't have to do just one thing or be in one industry or be with the same types of companies or even be with a company at all. We can have our own businesses. There's, there's no right way. And it doesn't have to be a linear path where it's like step one and then step two and then step three and just climbing a ladder. Doesn't have to be like that. So I would say that's number one. For me and my career, there was absolutely not a single time where I woke up one day and said, 
by the time I'm 40, I'm going to own my own company doing the next wave of leadership development and really shining light on the progressive concepts that make us more human and bringing this to the corporate world. Never, ever did I think that, right? So when I say it's not linear, sometimes we need to just let go of the 10-year plan or the five-year plan and just live more in the moment and be more in flow with life so that we can be content in what we're doing, not complacent, very different than being content, but be content in what we're doing, how we're serving humanity, how we're serving our clients and allow ourselves to unfold allow ourselves to grow, to evolve into whatever is next. So the journey for me, I started out in FinTech at Reuters and then was recruited to Goldman. I did Goldman through my 20s. I resigned at 30 because it was just not the right place for me. The culture was very challenging for me. The stress and anxiety that I felt every day was just not something I had the skill set to navigate at the time. And so I resigned at 30 and totally changed my career. I decided at that time, what is it that I really love? Oh, I know what I love. I love architecture because I love big buildings and big cities, right? Lived in New York. I traveled abroad in, in uh, Europe when I was in college, lived in Chicago, right? So I'm like, at this point, I should just go into architecture, but not as an architect, as a business person. And I did exactly that. I networked for about a year while I was still at Goldman. I formed a lot of relationships through informational interviews. And then from there, I landed a role doing business development for a big firm. Now, after growing that business for a few years, I was recruited to CBRE. And that's where I, that's the role that I left when I started my company. It was nothing to do with the career as far as why I started my company. It was my own personal evolution that led me to this. And you mentioned a very critical word, networking. Women tend not to network. We just hesitate to even approach strangers and try to make those connections. That uh, seems like you were able to make the network work for you. So what have been some of your secrets to really get the most out of the network you have? And how do you build your network? Well, I have to say, I have the fortunate or unfortunate experience of when I was 22 and I moved to New York City after college and I was working at Reuters, my client was JP Morgan and my job was to be a relationship manager. So I was to build relationships with the users of the software and there were 1800 of them in the entire bank. So most of my time was spent on the JP Morgan trading floor because that's the most, that's the highest density of users of the product, right? There was nowhere to sit. So everyone there had a desk and a chair, right? The workers at JP Morgan, me as a vendor, I didn't have a desk and a chair. So I was the girl who was walking the trading floor in a sea of men, honestly, very few women. And I had to talk to people. It was sink or swim. You have to remember, I don't have a fallback plan. I can't just turn around and go back to St. Louis and live with my mom and dad. I can't just go backpack through Europe for a year. I literally just had to do it. And as uncomfortable as it was being so young and so naive and having zero expertise in what it is I'm doing and having to build these relationships with these people who were, you know, 20, 30, 35 years older than me, it was really hard but I just talked. I just was myself. And I can honestly say that networking, if you can show up as just who you are, it is not that much of a dirty word. It doesn't feel icky. It feels like you are accepted for who you are when you just bring who you are. Let me kind of go a little bit deeper with this. 
I believe that when you try to show up as someone that you're not, there's an energy that comes along with that, that doesn't feel good for others in your presence. So think about that. If you are disingenuine, if you are fake, if you are judgmental of someone in your head, when you're talking to them, that person is not going to feel good on the other end of that conversation. They might not say it because they might feel like it's rude if they say something, but you're not going to form a nice connection with them. And it certainly won't be something lasting. So instead show up just as you are, bring energy to the conversation. Do not be judgmental in your head of them or yourself. You've got to catch yourself on that one because if you're also hard on yourself internally and you've got that deflating voice, you know, chirping away and criticizing you or saying things like, oh, this person doesn't want to talk to you or, you know, what do you have to, what do you have to give this person? If you go in it with anything like that, the other person on that side of the conversation is not going to feel good in your presence. And so networking is more about how can I show up and bring energy to the conversation and show up as myself, right? Not trying to put on a facade. On top of that, realizing that the more that you do network, the more that you'll realize you have something to give. You have a way to help that person. You have something to teach that person. We're always either the teacher or the student in any interpersonal interaction, always. So with my kids, a lot of times I'm the student. I'm learning from them all the time, right? Not in a literal way, not sitting down and they're teaching me math, but in a way of there are many lessons to pick up on. And you never know what conversation you're going to have with someone where you plant seeds in them or they plant seeds in you, or you unlock an edge in them or they unlock an edge in you. And so look at networking like opportunity. It's just opportunity to come across the right people at the right time. And if someone feels like the wrong person, just remove yourself from that interaction and you don't have to talk to them again. That's okay too. That's great advice. That's a great way of looking at it too. Thank you. So along the way, when you decided you wanted to leave a very cushy job and then start something on your own, I know it's always hard. Being an entrepreneur is not easy at all. It takes a very strong mind and definitely a whole support system for you to go. So were there naysayers and how did you handle those naysayers? Yeah. So I'm used to naysayers, right? Because a couple of things, I went to private uh, grade school and I chose not to go to private high school. And I grew up in a town that wasn't tiny, but it wasn't big, right? So I chose to go to public high school where I didn't know anybody. And so I dealt with a lot of judgment from the community I already knew in grade school around that. Same with college. I didn't go to a big public school. I went to a small private school where I didn't really know anyone. So once again, there's that outside judgment moving to New York. Tons of outside judgment. Why would you move there? 9-11 happened two years ago. Aren't you scared? Aren't you crazy? All these things. Did it anyways. When I resigned from Goldman, same thing. Why would you leave such a coveted job? Oh my gosh, people would kill for your job. And I'm like, well, it's not for me anymore. They can have it, right? So I've dealt with judgment consistently in my life from the external world. What I have realized in my own evolution, that personal evolution, that journey that I often talk about, because it's what led me to where I am today, is that my self-worth and my value is not reliant on what others think of me or how much they tell me I'm worth or I'm valued. It is inside of me. And that is my own innate power to understand my worth, to understand my value. So for me and leaving the role I had and the last corporation I was in, I knew there'd be a lot of people that don't understand why I'm leaving, that don't understand what it is I'm going to do. 
And that quite frankly, will probably never have interest in this kind of growth for themselves, but that's okay. It doesn't have to be for everybody. As long as I know my worth and I know my value, and I know that there are a lot of people to serve who need this, that's all I, that's all I needed to know or needed to believe in myself to, to make the leap. Yes, of course, I made a lot of lifestyle changes a couple of years before to prepare myself for that leap, knowing full well, you know, my salary is going to look a little different, at least for that first year or two. A lot of courage. Absolutely. You also mentioned earlier, right, like you've been on trading floors where you were one of the very few women. Again, you know, business development is also a very male dominated industry. So you've been the only or one of the few women in a lot of these situations. Did you ever face perceptions that surround women and how did you handle those situations? Yeah, I definitely did. And I, I wrote an article a few years back. I, I do a lot of thought leadership. I wrote an article about how I basically turned being a woman in a man's world to a person in a people's world. For me, a lot of it has to do with my own equanimity. So believing that while I look different and I sound different, it is okay and not even okay, it's acceptable to be a woman in that space. I use the word acceptable because self-acceptance is actually the first step. I accept that I am a woman and that I have feminine qualities and that I like to wear leather pants and leather skirts and high heels and you know all of these things. And yet I believe that I'm highly intelligent and I belong there. A big thing, this comes back to authenticity, Divya, because we cannot be someone we're not and be accepted. So if we play victim and, oh, I don't belong or they don't accept me, then what we're really doing is just shining light on our own insecurities that we don't accept ourselves. So first accept yourself for who you are and then show up as who you are, show up authentic and bring that energy. Because if you're trying to bring, for example, when I came up in my career, I mean, this is all before social media and, you know, um, people being outed for so many ill treatments of others, right? The number of women around me in various industries who are always trying to act more like men, trying to dress more like men, trying to be more like the men around them, because they thought that was the way to get ahead. Call it my wisdom, but I could, I could see it from a mile away. It felt icky. I, I felt like this is just not okay that women behave this way, to be honest. It was almost that reverse guidance, right? Because I learned what I never wanted to be like. And it was that, like, I never wanted to be an authoritative leader because I saw all these women try to lead that way and they were manipulative and forceful. And it was just so disingenuine and it never felt good for anybody. So it was a real life lesson in what I never wanted to be like. And also allowed me to really hone the fact that I can be myself and it's okay. Now, a lot of women are scared to do that. And I understand why, you know, we have been programmed, conditioned, if you will, to have to shy away from who we are and to bring something that we're not. And it takes that inner work. It takes that introspection and reflection to really start to accept ourselves. But once we do some of that work on ourselves and we can start to accept who we are and then show up more authentic and more consistent, it becomes easier. It becomes easier to just be there and to use our voice and to, to have that seat at the table and to advocate for ourselves. So now you've started Authentically Easy or in Coop.com. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely, yeah. So right around late 2017, I had this sort of moment where I describe it as a bit of an awakening. I 
for the first time in a really long time, I spoke through my heart. And what that was is a conversation with my husband where I just asked him, what is the point of all of this? And by that, I, I meant, and we ended up having a pretty deep discussion that evening. Why do we just chase and chase all of these things that society tells us to achieve? And then once we have it all and on paper, it all sounds great. It's not that fulfilling. And so what is really the point of it? Having described to you that, you know, my dad died when he was 58 and he was sick since he was 45. I don't really buy into let's just work our butts off and save a ton of money so that at 65, we can like travel the world because we have no idea if we'll have our health or if we'll even be alive at that point. So it was really this sort of pivotal moment where I started to question a lot of the beliefs in my mind. Who put them there? Why do I believe them? Do I still believe them? Even if they serve me one day, for example, a belief like you're taught as a child, look both ways before you cross the street. That is a belief that will serve me until the day I die, right? Like that is a very solid belief. It is something I will believe forever because it protects me, literally protects me. But a belief, for example, education isn't that important. You just need to like get through it and then, you know, just figure things out. Would that have served me if I actually believed that? Who knows? I don't know what I'd be doing if I didn't put myself through school. But I do know that that changing my belief back then really did serve me, right? Because it led me to where I am today. And so it was absolutely something for me to take a look at. So at this point in 2017, going into 2018, I started to evaluate all of these beliefs in my mind. I mean, so many, what I describe as limitations. In evaluating them, I was getting rid of some, and then I was replacing them with new ones. So for example, did I ever believe I could start my own business before that? No. But what I did is I put the belief in that I could. Was it linear? Meaning did it happen overnight? Of course not. It was an unraveling. It was an unfolding. There was a lot of research. There was a lot of time spent. I mean, it was countless hours over about three years before I actually did it. It wasn't, it was not overnight, but little pieces, micro actions were getting me closer and closer and closer to the goal. And what I do in this business, which I launched in February of 2020. So I built it in 2019 on the side of my full-time job, full-time mothering. I was working 50 hours a week. I was a mom. I was a housekeeper. I mean, all the things, a spouse, you name it. And when I pressed play in February of 2020, I really launched it with the notion that I am going to imbibe corporate, the corporate lifestyle, the corporate mentality with the human skills and the growth mindset that I believe everyone in those environments deserves to have to find meaning and purpose in what they're doing. Meaning and purpose don't have to come from volunteering all of our time. They don't have to come from being on five nonprofit boards. They don't have to come from donating half our salary. Meaning and purpose are how do I serve humanity and how does what I'm doing serve me? Very simple. It's very simple. And if you can't answer those two questions, then maybe it is time to evaluate what it is you're doing. Maybe there's something else that will that will help you align more with that purpose and meaning. So that's what I thought it was going to be just that initially. And it's just evolved so much. There's, there's so many people to help. And what I realized is that at scale, I can help more people. For example, keynote speaking. I do keynote speaking for groups of hundreds, thousands of people. And so I can teach three, three tools, three new human skills that these people, all these people who are in the room listening, 
that they can start to apply to their lives immediately. And they are game changers, right? Now, is everyone going to use every tool? No. But if one of those resonates with each person, then I have helped change the trajectory of how they will approach their life, their relationships, their work, their meaning. And then I do a lot of leadership development. So I go into corporations and I work with teams of leaders from management level and mid-level management up to the C-suite. And just depending on the size of the organization and who brings me in, and I take them through this journey, which is the journey inward. The more self-knowledge one has, and the more you know yourself, the more you can bring your whole self to those that you're leading, the more you can show up for them, and the more that you can come to know them. That's really how this works. So I do a lot of those programs, and I also have a, a cohort I lead too. Congratulations. Um, starting right before COVID, I'm sure you had plans, and then everything changed, and you yeah. again adapted and made the best of it and actually made something incredible out of it. So Thank congratulations. You. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was definitely a whirlwind, that's for sure. Going back to some of our focus groups, right? One thing that just kept coming up was sometimes we do a lot of disservice to ourselves just by the way we think, some of our behaviors that really hold us back and sometimes not just us, but all the women because then perceptions start forming because we keep doing this again and again, sometimes unconsciously as well. Have you seen women making mistakes throughout your career that you have kind of cringed from and said, oh gosh, why why do they keep doing this? And what would you recommend they do instead? You know, I mean, the biggest one that I've seen, I described a little bit earlier where women put on a show right? Where it's like, they're acting in ways that they think are expected of them rather than just showing up and being who they are. And it's funny because I got a question once from a man about authenticity. And the guy was like, so I have a question. Like if I'm a jerk and I just show up as a jerk, isn't that being authentic? And my point to him is no, because the jerk is your ego. Like in your heart, you're not really that jerk. It is all the complexities and layerings of your experiences and your perceptions and your perspectives. Like it's all of that stuff in your head that has you behave that way to the external world. And so there has to be, in order for people to show up authentic, they have to know who they are in order to know who you are. Yeah. You, you've got to, you got to look inward. You've got to cultivate that inward relationship, which means taking care of your whole self, your emotional and mental self matter. It's not just the physical body. And I think what, what I've seen with women a lot is that women people please like no other. And part of it is like, there's this perfectionist tendency. And the other part is like, if I just do everything that everyone wants me to, then I'm going to be accepted. I'm going to be acknowledged. I'm going to be recognized and validated. So it's almost like this underlying self-worth or self-esteem lack that's that's there or scarcity the more that we can build up the confidence in ourselves to just say i'm going to put myself out of my comfort zone it's going to be scary but i'm going to do it anyways because that's where i can grow that's where i can learn rather than hide in the shadows of scarcity mindset and i'm just going to do everything everyone says and deplete myself think that that's okay to treat myself that way i mean others will treat you the way you treat yourself right so if you will just say yes to it all and you'll do it all, end up exhausted and burnt out, you can protect yourself along the way by setting healthier boundaries for you. 
And I think that that's something that, that women definitely miss out on a lot. They neglect that inner self and they, they neglect that intuition that tells them maybe you should say no to this one. And they say yes anyways. People pleasing. No, that's a great one, actually. And, and it's interesting, like when some of our guests kind of point out a few things and you reflect back, you're like, that is so true. You know, mm-hmm. you don't think of it first thing, but then we all notice different things. So I guess collectively we can make a list and say no to all these you know, right. a number of things. Right. Well, and I, I honestly have the experience of having been that way. So like I was that person. <laughs> so I was the super type A, super perfectionist, super people pleasing, you know, run myself to the ground for anything and everyone. Takes one to know one, huh? Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> you are a great dancer and you love music. I do. And does that bring you joy? Yes, it does. Always has. There's just something that music does to my soul. Like when I hear the words and I hear the rhythms that I just, I just love, like it just, it moves me, you know, and it could be anything from like a country song to like, like a hip hop song or I love 90s rap. I mean, I'm like such a sucker for 90s rap. <laughs> I am. But but I just I just really enjoy music. I enjoy moving my body. When I move my body through dance, it just just feels right. That's so awesome. And I think you need to have these outlets, right? Where you really let go and it brings you joy and it kind of rejuvenates you no matter what the situation is. Thank you so much, um, Aaron. This has been such a great conversation. Any closing comments for our listeners? I hope that they all got a lot out of this because I just, my biggest point here is just Don't be so hard on yourself and think that your career has to be a linear trajectory. You know, it's okay to course correct. It's okay to, you know, to not feel aligned with certain roles or certain companies and and to make moves. And so, you know, just perseverance, I think, is probably the biggest thing. Just keep going. Thank you so much, Erin. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.